sound of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his jicks. Heralds, another edition, a Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and, and this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this fantasy edition of the podcast is Rotographs editor and Pangraphs contributor Eno Saris. Saris joins us here uh, just minutes after completing his chat in the electronic pages of Fangraphs, and it is the questions and concerns of those chatteers, chatterers, who informed the substance of this podcast. For example, the people are concerned about Dan Heron. Are his present struggles similar to those he endured with the Diamondbacks in 2010 prior to his trade to the Angels? Or do they have a lot more to do with his ailing back, and are they more scary for that reason? Nino says that Brandon Morrow, about to come off the DL for the Toronto Blue Jays, might be a decent substitute for those who own Heron now. I asked Saris, would you rather have Morrow now or Tim Lincecum, the pitcher whom the Seattle Mariners skipped over to select Morrow himself? Talk about Morrow and Lincecum a little bit before moving on to bullpen discussions, the Boston Red Sox, the Houston Astros, and the San Diego Padres. Who's closing games for them and who will be their closers towards the end of the season? All these topics considered and at least one or two more in this edition of Fangraphs Audio with Eno Saris right now. Children just—they're—they're they're festering with illness, I believe. Yeah, and that's the the nice thing about daycare is that he's out of the house for a little bit, and I get to work. And the bad thing is, he comes back with all the diseases that they have there at the daycare. Right, and then you get the diseases. Oh, but I, did you not get this particular one? I didn't, and I'm usually a wuss when it comes to these things. So we'll see how it goes in the future. Yeah. Well, um. Uh, you and I, of course, we have a high-powered, high-pressured business meeting very soon <laughs> to get to. But uh, in, before we do that, though, we have to capture some audio. We have to record some audio for the people. Um, for the people. Yeah, and this, uh, unlike certain REM albums, is not automatic for the people. We have to produce it ourselves. This is manual. Do you get what I'm trying to say, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm I'm all for it. What do people care about in fantasy baseball right now? I will. I mean, I care about dominating the staff league, but that's a uh, spe- that's a concern specific to me. But you just you just came from a chat and uh, um, at least an hour long chat. Maybe you go long. How long do you go now? I like to go for two hours actually. And what I find people- that um, I get you know the, the further I get into the Friday afternoon, the uh, the more likely you know, people start stop doing their work and join it. Mm-hmm. Now, what percentage of the questions you're asked go something like um, uh, David Price and Dustin Bedroya for Pujols and, you know, uh, Adam Jones? Should I do it? <laughs> Actually, very, very little. Um, I think most of them are... Yeah, I think to give my chatters the the credit, um, they're usually when I get a question on trade, it's a, a good offer. Like it's a 
it's an even one where you know it's, it's you know if you have needs then it's an okay trade you know very rarely am I like oh good god what are you thinking now so what percentage what percentage of the questions are uh, trade re- trade related do you suppose uh, I'd say less than half. Okay. A lot of um, keeper and waiver wavered questions. You know, is this guy going to get it together? Do I need to drop this guy? Um, but so a lot of people are wondering about Dan Heron, for example. Well, what's going on with Dan Heron uh, then? Is Dan Heron is Dan Heron is he performing poorly right now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Dan Heron's performing poorly now. Is he performing poorly? In the way that he did, uh, maybe it was like two or three years ago. Um, it was the season in which he was traded to the Angels, um, and his peripherals had been excellent with Arizona, and yet he was giving up a lot of runs, mostly mostly um, via home runs. Is the, is he pitching poorly in that way right now? No, it's uh, it's a little bit more worrisome. I mean, all the everything's down. It's, Swinging strike rate is down. Um, he still has his excellent control, but his ground ball rate is down, and uh, his velocity is down. And just uh, you know, paired with, uh, I mean, he's he's under 90 miles an hour for the first time, um, under 89 even. And he's got this back issue, and he's been in and out of the lineup. Um, you know, he's uh, he's only got 22 starts on the year. So I think that, uh, you know, he's, how old is he, 32? You know, there's something, he's 31, but he's going to turn 32 in September. There's something there. I'm, I'm a little worried about him. Uh, you know, it's not to say that he won't have another excellent year, but I'm not sure that he's going to be excellent the rest of this year. Right. You're saying that, that uh, in terms of probability, um, you think that this is, a, this is more likely a real thing uh, than what we saw a couple years ago. Uh, part of that owing to age yeah. and the fact that, um, you know, especially when you're on the wrong side of 30 like that, a back injury could I think mean... Uh, the back injury is big because it's a specific it's a specific thing. You know, when when uh, when we're kind of just looking at a guy and there's no, there's been no health concern that year, he hasn't been on the DL and, you know, there's just a couple of bad things or maybe he needs to do this or this one more or whatever. But when you've got something that's really, you can really wrap your hand around, like a DL stint for a back situation, especially a back kind of thing, you know, a back or a shoulder, those are things that they might go on a DL and come back, but that doesn't mean the thing's gone. So, are um, there, uh, are, are there other pitchers you could think of who suffered back injuries for whom that's been a problem? You know, it actually, my my wariness about backs comes a little bit more from my basketball fandom, um, where there are tons of players that get into a, a funk with their back, and I guess basketball is a little bit worse for the back. But you know, I, if, if your if your back's not doing well in pitching, I can see it being a problem. Did uh, David Wells have some back issues? Near the it would not be shocking to me if that were the case. I guess it's actually been part of uh, Josh Beckett's uh, some of his recent yeah. struggles. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that has a little bit of issue with back. So yeah. Yeah, it is troublesome. Um, I, I mean, have you yourself ever had a back injury or or even a, a sore back? Yeah, I've thrown it out a little bit, um, and I do play basketball. So I played full court on Wednesday for the first time in a long time, and uh, I pretty much felt terrible all over, but also in the back area um, yesterday. So 
it's it's like one of those things where you just don't feel like doing anything. Like you just you don't feel like you can even walk. So uh, you know, doing a pitching motion got to be a little rough on them. Right. Uh, if, well, a back injury is one of those sorts of things like mouth pain that you cannot really um, you cannot really escape. I guess. Yeah. Um, it's sort of everywhere. I don't know if you've ever had <laughs> severe mouth, like mouth pain. pain. That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> no, because t- you, you keep putting your tongue on it and you keep thinking about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't. I, um, one time I had an impacted uh, wisdom tooth, and um, oh, it was in, in a, the pain was inescapable in a way that. Uh, I mean, a way I hadn't, you know, like, you, you hurt ankles before, et cetera, but it always seems, um, other injuries seem maybe, like, further away, whereas a mouth pain is just sort of all-consuming, and there's no, there's no escaping. It seems like it's in the very center of your being, and uh, back pain, I think, uh, can achieve that sort of, that quality as well, where it's, it's somehow, somehow it seems inside you. You know, I mean, they're all inside <laughs> you, but it seems inside your soul as opposed to just uh, your body, um, which for, yeah. for me is uh, probably. I mean, this is a not medical at all. It's really. A, uh, I, I I have I I suffer from uh, gut pain. Is that right? Uh, from time to time, and that's it's yeah. like a core thing. You know, it's like just yeah, I hear it's like on the inside. So people are people are worried about Dan Heron. I assume he's not eminently tradable right now. So what does a person do? Uh, what does a Dan Heron owner do at the moment? Yeah, people are asking if they should uh, if they should drop him. Um, but uh, you know, I can't. It's still Dan Heron. You know, are you going to pick up? You know, Huli Shafin or Alex Cobb for Dan Heron? I, for the most part, I said, you know, he's the kind of guy you just got to leave at the end of your bench. Try to use him in the right matchups. And you know you got to keep him. Uh, you know you got to keep him on your roster. I don't know. If, you know I'm definitely not have to keep him in a keeper league. So the only person, the only, you know, people were dropping names and be like, can I drop him to this guy? Or drop him to this guy? The only one that I could come up with that I would, might do is uh, Brandon Morrow is is finishing up his rehab and coming back, and he's been pretty good, and his peripherals have been better than his results for a while, and this is finally the year where he's putting it together. You know. Uh, oblique might be one of these sort of trunk, you know, always there problems, but he's, he's, he's about to do his fifth rehab start. So I feel like if he's good to go now, then he's good to go. And he might actually give you better numbers than, uh, Heron going forward. And that's, uh, that's Brandon Morrow. Yeah. Well, Brandon Morrow is an interesting character. Obviously, uh, I mean, I've been aware of him since, uh, Seattle. I've probably a number of listeners have been aware of him since then. When uh, I mean, he's sort of notable for having been taken by the Mariners, maybe the pick before Linscombe, Tim Linscombe. Yeah, um, I don't know if it was the, exactly the pick before, but it was also of note because Linscombe was a local player, uh, and uh, of course Brandon Morrow is not. Uh, Linscombe certainly had the better early career, um, but Brandon Morrow, we think, who would you take for the rest of the season if someone offered you? Brandon Morrow versus Tim Lincecum for the remainder of the season. Morrow, actually, uh, that's another that's another good one because, um, and I think this Lincecum came up a couple times, and I think my views on it are crystallized. I, I was talking to Wendy Thurm um, at a Lincecum start, and we were watching him pitch. Wait, you actually um, had a game with Wendy Thurm? 
Yeah, I, well, I was I was in the um, in the press box, and I, I came out and uh, enjoyed an adult beverage with her uh, in the concourse, and watched watched an inning with um, with uh, Lynch come pitching. And you know, she said something really smart, which was, you know, he's always kind of been a grip it and rip it guy with the fastball, and when you look at his delivery, I could see how it may not emphasize control because it's, it's all about being as long as possible, over the top as possible, and just getting, you know, getting as much leverage out of his kind of smaller frame. And um, when he was gripping and ripping it at 94, maybe the exact location wasn't huge. And, you know, we, I just did some research on the peripherals for walk rate, and if you can get someone to swing and miss at a pitch that's outside the zone, you basically just turned a ball into a strike. So it's going to look like you have better control than you do because, you know, you're turning balls into strikes with your stuff. So if, if Lincoln's rearing back and throwing 94, 95, 96 for the fastball and then dropping that changeup off the table, it might not matter as much where he's putting the ball in the zone. Um, but then once it's 90 with the fastball, you know, if you look at his peripherals, you see Lincoln's still getting the whiff, but the control is terrible and it's worse than it's ever been. And I think that's what's sort of happening. It's, it's not necessarily the control that it's like true talent control is worse than it's ever been. It's that his stuff is reduced to the point where they can wait on things and not swing at things, and maybe they're making more outside contact. And you know what I'm saying? There's no, no, that's bit, uh, that yeah. whole point is interesting to me. This idea of of turning of turning balls into strikes. Uh, you know, through whatever means, whether it's, I'm sure, it, you know, with Lincecum, it's been a combination of velocity, which um, limits the batter's um, opportunity to make a decision, right? And yeah. um, and to make contact with the ball once he decides to swing. And then uh, deception, uh, which at least does one of those things, because I guess if you have deception, then it, uh, it also limits... Uh, limits the batter's opportunity to swing or his opportunity to decide whether he's going to swing. Um, so, if I, he, so if he has sort of like a, a true talent level of all of these things, deception, control, all that stuff, and the velocity is dropping with what I think is he needs to up the deception somehow and it might might come in like a third pitch or something. That's not something he's going to start doing in the middle of the season, I don't think. Well, is he mostly – because I, I, I remember reading at the beginning of the season that he was going to drop the slider – uh, I, yeah, I, although I, re- I remember watching a recent start where uh, the commentator suggested he was throwing a slider, so I guess he's doing that. He throws it a little bit, and he throws the curveball. And you know, when he throws the curveball, he can look like a different pitcher. But again, you know, the balls to called strike ratios on the curveball and the slider are uh, lower than you know your fastball thing. So I. I wonder if he needs, like, a cut fastball or something, you know, just something he can control better that gives him a different look. Uh, there's, I think there's some tinkering that, that, you know, Bill Petty also found that even though velocity drops off in relievers and starters, starters are better at keeping their strikeout percentage as they get older. And I think that's because they have more pitches and they can, they can kind of think of different ways to attack the batter and, and find, oh, my fastball's going downhill with it, so I can, maybe I'm going to throw the slider more. So I think that he's not 
a lost cause in terms of his career, and that there could be some tinkering. But uh, this season, I'm a little worried about. Okay, and you suggested that you would take Moro over Linscom. Uh, you mentioned Moro briefly, but but as compared to Linscom, uh, what's, what's the distinction there for you? Um, just you know, I I know it's the that hot streaks don't tell you anything, but cold streaks tell you a little bit. Um, there's a little little bit more there with cold streaks. I just wrote an article about this, and um, and it's just like. You know, and because because I think that there's something in this cold streak that it's telling us something, and it's, and it's about his control and and his reduced velocity, and so I don't really see him fixing those things this year. So I think it's at this point it's not really like a cold streak anymore. Whereas Morrow is coming off with better results. I know that the oblique injury makes it very close. It's obviously very a, a close, a difficult decision, but. Um, I would rather take a guy who's been having better results at this point in the season. Okay, and uh, so that's uh, that's Brandon Morrow, and, and we discussed Morrow originally as a possible uh, solution to to Dan uh, Dan Heron ownership uh, to the problem of Dan Heron ownership, which is a concern on the minds of uh, Fangraphs readers apparently, or at least participants in your chat. What are some other concerns that people are having um, at this point? A lot of people are trying to figure out where Manny Machado, uh, maybe I'm mispronouncing his name, I'm sad. Uh, uh, I, I would say Manny Machado, that sounds, that sounds Manny reasonable. Machado, okay, where he, where he sits um, in the, in like sort of a redraft one-year league situation where he sits for the rest of the season and where his career is going to go. You know, it's, it's, there's a couple things going on is that, you know, as, as uh, Cameron pointed out in his great article was that um, Machado was in a in a tough league um, and was young for his league and in a tough home park. So I don't I don't you know some people were like oh he had two sixty five in double A that means he's going to hit two twenty in the majors. But uh, I feel like he's he could just as I think he's like he can manage like a two sixty five batting average in the major leagues. His, his home park just got better um, and you know he's. He's done well as he's advanced. Right, so. and there's also that point where uh, this is a little bit, you know, nebulous. This idea, but where a great talent might adapt at a different rate than than someone who's, you know, not not as talented. And I mean, that might be that might be baked into the projections to a certain degree. But you know, there are obviously there are a lot of things the projections don't capture. Obviously. Well, it's so interesting when a guy gets called up and he's just young. Um, immediately the fact of his call-up at that age means two things. It means, one, he's, might, he's, he's most likely to have a hard time uh, because of what we've seen from young call-ups. But two, it means that he's a great talent. <laughs> you know, there's, if you look at the list of young call-ups, so many of them are great players. Um, and they didn't, so it's like, it's a, it's a little, it's a good thing and a bad, it's good news, bad news, where the good news is he's a great talent, you know, just being called up to the stage means something, um, and since he's a great talent, he could turn it on from right from the beginning, or it means he might struggle at first, but he still has a great career left. Now, with regard you know. to Machado, because he's playing third base right now for the Orioles, 
and J.J. Uh, Hardy, who um, generally has been an excellent defender at short, probably isn't moving. He's probably a better defender than Machado. Uh, will Machado, uh, because we don't expect him to play much shortstop, uh, if any, for the remainder of the year, what will be his eligibility in leagues last year? I mean, keeper leagues, yeah. um, redraft leagues. What's, what, what are going to be sort of the parameters that define his eligibility? That was a big question, and, and I think most um, systems define it based on games played in the major leagues. So he's going to be a third baseman. Um, you know, I would say to the Orioles, you know, trade Hardy, but Hardy's trade value is not at a high right now since he's hitting 230 or something. Um, so it's a very interesting question. Um, and the longer that he plays third base, the more likely he stays at third base. Um, and yeah, I think the bat is good enough that he'll still be interesting at third base, but, you know, everybody's looking for a keeper shortstop. Um, and especially a young one with a lot of upside. So, uh, he's, keeper value is being affected negatively by playing at third. Um, and there's not two ways about it. But, um, you know, the question is, I guess if Hardy came out, if they had a little bit better situation at third base next year with a, a signing or or they felt better about calling someone up or something else, then, you know, Hardy could lose his job if he played if he played similarly next year, I think. Um, or if he started out the way that he did this year. So it's uh, there's a lot of moving parts. Well, how about besides that, um I mean, who, who's played second base for the Orioles this year after Brian Roberts, who, you know, at this point we can't consider That's Roberts really injury, the starter yeah. at second because uh, between con- concussions and, and assorted other injuries, um, he's not playing a lot. And then I think beyond that, maybe it's been Robert Andino. Yeah, and I, I would, if I if I was a GM, I would cast Robert Andino as a utility guy. Um, I don't think. You know, he can, he can take a shortstop. He's got, you know, better than average glove at the non-shortstop positions. Uh, but his bat's not great. So, you know, that's a possibility too. Machado at, um, at second and Dino everywhere on the, on the infield and some sort of enemy situation. You know, the, the free agents are terrible here at third base. So, right, and um, I should note that uh, Omar Quintanilla actually has played the majority of games at second base of late, and Omar Quintanilla is also not what you'd call um, an answer, um, especially if the question is um, who's the who's the second baseman on your World Series caliber team. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Not the answer to that one. Yeah, he's a he's a he's he's the guy that everybody wants in AAA. Omar Quintanilla, right, yeah, and he. Yeah. Uh, you know, he probably did start the season at AAA. I don't have his transactions yeah. in front of me, but uh, the Rangers—they've all had him to start the year on AAA. Right, and I mean, in the sense that he's useful, like he could play a number of positions. I think he's spent some time at short, uh, and it seems like he has something like—you know—I mean, he's got a bat of some sorts, uh, so that he can produce above replacement level, but not much. Reminds me of Arias a little bit. Joaquin Arias, right? Who's now what? But isn't isn't Arias at least has spent. Uh, stretches as exactly. a starting third baseman utility. for the. He's like a utility now. Pablo's healthy. He's kind of like a util. Right. Uh, against left-hander shortstop, kind of platoon shortstop. Well, in fact, the there. Giants specialize in this sort of player because um, of course they have Ryan Terrio, 
right? Or is it Fontenot? Yeah. Which one do they have? No, they have Terrio now. They have Terrio. They, <laughs> they used to have right. They used to have both, and uh, um, and they've also. Uh, they, I mean, of course, they had one Uribe at some point, and he was playing all over the diamond. They they do seem to uh, invest heavily in um, mo- mostly sort of talented middle infield types. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mostly kind of talented. Mostly kind of talented, right. Some talent. Um, now, uh, just a, a quick check of time here reveals that we have three minutes left to our high-powered business meeting, you know. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to ask just quickly about um, some bullpen options. I noticed, for example, uh, that Dale Thayer is once again getting saves. Why is that happening? Uh, and I think it's kind of interesting on a real baseball level. Uh, it's Luke Gregerson is Sergio Romo. That's the problem. Um, and so that, that ties it to another bullpen situation. You know, Luke Gregerson, Sergio Romo, they throw the slider 40-plus percent of the time, um, and it's led to tender elbows and bat platoon splits on both, on both sides. They're both kind of slider, they're slider, they're slighter slider guys. Um, and I think it's led to uh, their teams realizing they have to sort of baby them a little bit, can't pitch them back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, uh, which is kind of the thing you want out of your closer, um, and got to watch the platoon stuff. So, you know, if Gregerson's going to be a platoon guy, they don't necessarily have the lefty side of that to really make it work in San Diego. So there's, there's the guy. But in San Francisco... Casilla is probably most suited to, to be uh, a closer against both hands, but when he's gone back-to-back-to-back this year, that's when he's fallen apart. Um, so now you've got him pitching in, like, the seventh and then blowout losses and blowout wins, um, and it's half Elton Romo in supposedly a straight platoon, um, which would mean that Romo is the guy to own because there are fewer lefties in the, in the big leagues. Um, but you know, in August, the Giants have two saves, and one went to Affeld, um, and one went to Casilla, I think, even. So, you know, Roma doesn't even have a save since they went to the platoon thing. And uh, But anyway, that's the thing. You can't you can't just anoint Roma the closer because he's got platoon issues. He's all about that slider. Okay, and I want to ask you about two other names quickly. Uh, Andrew Bailey with Boston. He's been a closer. They, that's probably why they acquired him for Josh Reddick. Uh, and then uh, also, uh, is question mark is Francisco Cordero still closing games for the Astros? Because uh, well, he wasn't closing them when he was being given save opportunities. So is he being given save opportunities? Is perhaps my real question. Uh, I think they're done with him. Lopez is going to be there in the future. There's a Will Lopez in Houston. Um, and the Asavis Bailey thing is interesting. Uh, Asavis has a nice swinging strike rate. That's for his career, but the strikeout rate is, um, way down. And I found that the average, uh, closing this year is striking out guys at, uh, over 10 strikeouts per nine. So, uh, Asavis is striking out about seven per nine. Bailey can actually strike guys out at that level. Um, and I think that if Bailey comes back and starts pitching to his upside, the the difference will be so big that they will actually go with Bailey. Um, and if he's healthy, he's more of a closer type. He's, you know, he's the kind of guy you can maybe go next year and say, okay, Bailey's a closer, a Savis is a backup closer, and that that to me sounds better than being like, yes, a Savis really proved this year that he needs to be our closer going forward. 
Okay, we did it. We did it, Eno. Um, yes. We, we could take a, have a moment for repose uh, before we begin our that meeting. That was a high-speed burn. Yes, it was. Uh, but I, I'd like to thank you for making uh, uh, for making your this appearance in the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. That's Eno Saris. I'm Carson Sestouli. And this has been the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.